we just need to evolve as small business owners to make sure we're able to compete with the big dogs, not just locally, but now nationally and even internationally because COVID changed a lot of things. So for me, it's a consistent activity every single day. I know if I coach my team, I know if I recruit every day, I'm going to be in a position to win. And I've had some of my best hires. Some of my best hires were hired when I didn't need anybody. So the big question is this, how do small business owners like us grow our business, grow our leadership and develop our teams in a way that allows us to get our products and services out of the world yet still remain profitable? That is the question and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Bradley Hamner and this is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Hey, before we get into today's episode, did you know that Club Capital is the largest accounting and advisory firm for insurance agency owners in the country, providing monthly accounting, CFO services, and tax preparation? Check them out at club.capital. Welcome to another episode of the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. My name is Bradley Hamner, your host, and on today's episode, we have Alex Shatek. Alex, he's a husband, a father of four. And he resides in Michigan, which is actually where my mom grew up. Prior to his professional career, he served in the Marine Corps, fought in Fallujah, Iraq in 2006 and 2007. And then he leveraged that Marine Corps experience with his business. He's launched multiple insurance agencies, a real estate investment company, and a business performance company. He is really passionate. You'll see this on the episode itself. He's passionate about his mission, which is to help small business owners decrease the hours in their business while increasing their profits by killing complacency in the areas of life and business. And as a just personal aside, he sent me a copy of his book, Complacency Kills. And we begin to go through and deconstruct some of the aspects of that book. And But I highly recommend that you pick this book up. I mean, wow, it is an endeavor to write a book. It's been something that I've been wanting to do for quite some time. And so we talked offline. So kudos to him for getting that book out. I've read, as many of you know, many books. His is fantastic. So make sure that at the end of this podcast, we share with you where you can pick that up. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Mr. Alex Shatuck. Wouldn't it be a great start to 2021 by having more leads in your book of business? Well, that's where our partners at Direct Clicks Inc. come in. Their team's dialed-in approach to running Google ads and online SEO campaigns maximize the quality and the volume of your leads, whether that's for inbound phone calls or even exclusive leads through your website. Direct Clicks Inc. works only with PNC insurance agency owners, so they have thousands of hours creating, A-B split testing, and improving online campaigns specifically for insurance. They also understand why each and every marketing dollar matters in providing true results, low paper clicks, transparency, and attention to detail, all of which is discussed in depth during your monthly review calls. Reach out to the Direct Clicks team at directclicksinc.com. That's directclicksinc.com and find out how they can make a difference in your approach to generating new business. Are you an agency owner looking to grow your revenue and increase your bottom line? Club Capital is here to help. Built for agents by agents, so we know your struggles. With accounting, payroll, and HR solutions, tax services, analytics, and more, Let's get you on the path to serious success. Using data-driven insights, you'll grow your business based on revenue and expense comparisons alongside your top performing peers. With over $100 million in tracked annual revenue and $70 million in tracked annual expenses, we have the data to help you make better informed decisions for your agency. Let's make your back office less of a hassle and more of the strategic generator that powers the growth to take your agency and your leadership to the next level. Visit club.capital today to book your complimentary, no obligation demo. Club Capital, way more than a CPA firm. Alex Chattuck, welcome to the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Happy to be here. Thank you. So we always start with background and origin story, and you have one of the most special stories of anybody that we've had on. So why don't you just tell us about your background and your origin story and how you got to where you are today? Sure. Well, I know the story you're referencing is my time in the Marine Corps leading into my time as a business owner. And to give you that background, I got to take you back to 2006 and 2007, back to Fallujah, Iraq. 
where at that time I was in the Marine Corps serving with the infantry battalion. And if you remember that war, that time, Bradley, you know that it's like one of those locations where if you had a loved one in the military, that's, that's kind of where you didn't want him or her to end up. But that's where I ended up. So I found myself there. Man, this was a world that was far different than what we have here today and what we had here way back then, too. It was a world where we couldn't even go outside the building that we occupied to use the port john without having a full flak jacket on, Kevlar helmet on, our weapon on us, of course, but also a magazine inserted and around in the chamber. And that was just to use the bathroom or use the shower trailer. And then once we stepped outside the wire on patrol, whether we were on foot or in a Humvee, every inch that we stepped on or rolled over, that was potentially our last because we had that consistent threat of IEDs, which is an improvised explosive device. In addition to that, we had sniper threats, additional small arms fire threats, kids throwing grenades, and then a fairly consistent mortar fire. So it was just one of those situations where we could never let our guard down. We could never just breathe and relax, except every once in a while. Once in a while, we would get this opportunity as a squad to hop in our Humvees and convoy outside of the city. Once we got outside of the city, it was different. We would get to this larger base, and this larger base had armed guards with high walls. It was a lot of square footage to cover. So, you know, we'd get mortared periodically, but it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of risk there because of the size of the base. So you could actually let your guard down a little bit, drop your gear, unload your weapon, and just breathe, right? So we loved that. In addition to that, they had a chow hall, so we could eat real food. They had a phone center where you could make a phone call home and then internet so you could check your email. And where we were most of the time, that was not functioning and operable. So that was always awesome. And we thoroughly enjoyed the opportunity to go there. And it was a nice break, but it was always really short-lived. And after we did what we needed to do, which usually was to get resupplied, we would gear up, load up, and then we'd start making our trip to the exit. And once we got to the exit, the walls that we came through, there was this last minute reminder. And I'm sure we're going to dive deeper into this message, but there were two words on the wall and there was a skull and it said complacency kills. And so for us, that was that final reminder to just keep in mind, you can't let your guard down. You're leaving the safe space. You're going out into a world where if you make a mistake, it can be costly not just for you, but even worse, the ones around you. And it was a world where you couldn't breathe. You were just always on the edge of your seat. It was that final reminder to not be complacent. It was a world where complacency killed. So that was that. And a lot happened while we were gone. We gained a lot of ground. We had a lot of success as a battalion. We also had a tremendous amount of loss to earn that success. But I was one of the fortunate ones that did make it home And while I was gone, a lot changed for me. My first child was born. And so uh, Jocelyn, she's going to be in high school next year. Yeah, she was born. I didn't find out for a few days just because of where I was at at the time. I got this little Red Cross message, this piece of paper saying like her name, her date of birth, her weight, and obviously height. And also the fact she was in the ICU. And that's all I had to go off of. So that was a stressful time, but I made it home to her, got to meet her, and that was pretty cool. And then time started to go by. And a few years went by, and I realized I had become complacent in my life here at home. And I didn't realize it at the time, like during those years, but ultimately what happened was I wasn't taking anything from overseas, none of my experiences. I wasn't leveraging anything to improve my situation here at home. And in fact, if anything, it was actually probably counterproductive. Some of those experiences and those things maybe were hindering my ability to be successful here at home as a husband, father, employee at the time or whatever. But there was this moment where it kind of dawned on me that that was the situation that I found myself in. And that's when that skull and those two words, complacency kills, came back to me. And I decided, you know, I'm going to take this brutal lesson I learned overseas and I'm going to apply it here at home too. I'm going to make that my mindset here and everything that I do. And then the years following, you know, what I found, Bradley, is that complacency, it doesn't just kill in a war zone. It kills here at home too. It kills our finances. It kills our health. It kills our relationships. And complacency absolutely will kill our business if we let it. And that's, I believe, what I'm here to help you guys with and talk to you about today. And I'm looking forward to that. So thanks again for having me on. That's a little bit about me 
And feel free to fire away if you want to know anything else about my thank background. You for your, thank you for your service to our country. You're welcome. My grandfather and several of his brothers, we were talking before, we have a large family in the Hamner family, and several of them served in World War II. And so I did not, but I've always had an appreciation for our military. Where I live in Huntsville, Alabama has a large military presence with the U.S. Army and defense contractors here. So we're surrounded by a lot of veterans in our area. So truly, thank you for serving our country. And honestly, cannot imagine having my firstborn and being literally across the world where you were, not just away, but also what you were doing. And you detail that in such eloquent manner in your book as well. And so anyway, thank you for your services. So I'm curious, when you got back, was there a moment that you look back on that you started to think through, you know, I'm being complacent and that happened? Or was it just subtle and gradual over a period of time? Well, I think it was gradual. There wasn't this one thing that I did or didn't do that made me realize it. It was several years of just time going by. And there were bumps in the road for me. Looking back at it now, I think I struggled with the transition more so than I would have ever admitted at the time. You know, when you're going through those things, and you don't have to be a veteran to appreciate that, we all go through things. We all have life smack us in the face. We all go through adversity and we all try to come out of it. And no, I think like anything else, it's a slippery slope, whether it's stuff you're dealing with from a war or addiction or relationships or whatever, it's usually multiple little things that add up over time. But there was a moment where I realized like, you know what, I'm not sure if, if I'm trending in the right direction. But to answer your question, it was multiple little things that led up to the aha moment, if you will, where that skull and those two words came back to me. I wish I could give credit to the person whose quote this is. So if somebody knows, they can certainly let me know. But Henry um, Ford. Is this it? Yeah. Success breeds complacency. <laughs> complacency breeds failure. Only the paranoid survive. And so when we talked a couple of weeks ago, that really made me think about this. So let me ask you this. Complacency to me seems to be this subtle, sneaky thing that happens in our business. So I kind of want to dive into the business aspect of it now. And using that quote from the perspective of it's success, it's not like it's success. It's actually success that breeds complacency, according to them. So there are people listening to this that are incredibly successful. I mean, whether you're an insurance agency owner or just a business owner, you're killing it. You've had a great, maybe even coming out of the pandemic, 2020 was a great year for you. How can we check ourselves so that we don't allow that subtle sneakiness of complacency to drip in to our lives and specifically into our businesses? Sure. Well, I think that it starts with our lives. If you're not taking care of yourself and your relationships, your business is going to struggle. And it took me a few years to figure that out. I always put my business first and we did good. But I believe we got great once we kind of flipped that upside down. I started taking care of my health, myself, and my relationships. And that, that just led to a better business for me. But more specifically to the business, I have two insurance agencies. And 2020 was great in a lot of ways. 2021 is often an even better start. And it's an easy thing to do. I wrote the book on it, right? It's an easy thing to do to get complacent. And so one thing that I've done well recently is I've spent a lot of time coaching my team, not because we're not doing well, but because I know we are doing well. But also I understand that some of our success is market driven. And like, you know, in any market, whatever business, it's not always going to be the way it is today. And I want to make sure that I position my team to be successful when we go back to a more normal environment or even a not so good environment when it comes to our market and our competitiveness. So I know right now I can plug in an average player in the seat and get him and her producing at a pretty high level fairly quickly. But if it wasn't the way it is right now in Michigan and in other places across the country, that person wouldn't have probably made it on my team in 2018. So how can I get him or her to where they need to be? So if it was 2018, they're going to be successful. So if it does get back to that market, we're going to continuously win. And that to me is super important when it comes to complacency. Yeah. In fact, that's a really good segue because I wanted to get into the way that you structured the book. You've got killing complacency in people and marketing and structure. So I just want to touch on each one of those since you were just talking about people. Because when I think about killing complacency, my first thought is about myself. And sometimes, yeah, it's easy to point the fingers at 
people, whether it's on our team or otherwise, that you can say, yeah, they're pretty complacent. So what's one or two things that we can take away from how to be able to kill complacency in people? And you're asking outside of ourselves, but actually our team, the folks exactly. that we're leading. Sure. Well, one thing that immediately comes to mind is understanding their workload capacity. And what I mean by that is if you were to look at, and we'll use sales employees or sales team members as an example. If you have three people in your office that are selling and you're funneling them a certain amount of opportunities or leads or whatever that might be for your business, not everybody is going to be able to handle the same amount of workload. And an example that I give back in my high school days, if we're going to go back to high school football, I was a fullback and our tailback was an all-state running back. And my job was to protect him. And we would just feed him the ball. He would carry the football 30, 40 plus times a game. He has all the records, including he's carried the football more for our high school than any other running back that's ever come through. But the few games that he couldn't play over his career, the backup running back didn't carry the football 40 times. He might carry the football 15 to 20 times. Our coach would have to change the game plan based on the individual that's in that role now because he didn't have the ability, the physical capability of carrying the football 40 plus times. But oftentimes as business owners, we have three people and we say, all right, you get five leads, you get five leads, you get five leads, go. And we don't even take into account that, well, maybe Billy can only handle three, but maybe Sally can handle seven. And when I started looking at my team way back when, I realized my top producer and my bottom producer, when you're looking at internet leads, one was double the other as far as close ratio, but they both had really great conversations. Just one was a slower, more methodical worker and he couldn't handle that volume. And so I went to my top guy and said, look, can you carry the football more? Can you take more leads? He says, yeah, I think so. And so he did. We shifted some. And what I found is that his close ratio remained the same, but he's taking more shots. So he's scoring more. He's winning more. He's selling more and making more. My other guy, his close ratio went up. And so I'm spending less to give him at least the same amount of production, if not more so, morale is up because people are making more money in one case, not even having to go through the motions as much. And so for a, a business, I got to increase my production, increase my growth, increase morale and, and income for everybody else. And I didn't have to spend a dime just by having awareness of the individual workload capacity for my individual team members. And you can apply that same philosophy to your service team as well. Yeah. I love That's that. It makes thing. me think about that. Everybody wants to be treated fairly, but it doesn't mean you treat everyone the same. I think that applies in business, mm -hmm. but also in sports too. We're in the NBA finals as we're recording this and Different players have to be coached different ways. They're not all coached the exact same. So I think that's actually a really great, great message. So I was excited to ask you about that. So what is killing complacency in marketing? Talk to me about that. Well, I think first we need to make sure we're maximizing the marketing dollars that we're already spending. And I'll rewind a little bit to people. We talk about capacity a lot and I'm all about adding team responsibly. But first we got to make sure that the individuals we have in the seat are firing on all cylinders. We can't just outspend it. So we need to make sure they're the right fit, improve them or replace them. And then once we have the right bodies in the chair, then let's look at our marketing. What are we doing to maximize the marketing dollars we're already spending before we go out and spend more? And so killing complacency in marketing is just simply looking at where's the money going? What's the ROI? And how can I refocus my energy and allocate those funds accordingly in a way that's going to make me more money and grow my business more so without having to spend more? And there's a lot of things that... I talk about and focus on that don't cost money at all. I have a few stories I could share. One of them in particular just talks about, you know, I was at a sub shop. This is years ago. And I went through the line. And this is back when I was a newer insurance agent running all over town for pictures and signatures. And it's probably three or four o'clock and I'm just about to eat lunch. So I'm going to the sub shop. And it was one of those deals where you could double the meat for a dollar. And so I thought to myself, like, yeah, this is right up my alley, right? So I'm walking in and I'm expecting to go ahead and take advantage of that double meat situation. And the new girl making the sub, she does her thing. She puts the meat on there and she, she passes it down to the veggie lady, which is a seasoned veteran of that location because I ensure, and I remember her at the time, manager on duty. She pauses and looks back at the new girl that put the meat on and said, did you ask him if you wanted double meat? And then it dawned on me that I forgot to ask. And she never did. And the girl turned back to her and I'm thinking like, all right, here's my chance to, she's going to make it right. She turns back to the manager and says, yeah, I did. <laughs> and 
And so I had a decision to make, right? Do I throw this poor girl under the bus and get my double meat? Or do I just eat this monstrosity of a sub that's just a lot of carbs, a little protein, whatever. And I just ate it. I just jumped on that grenade and it was all good. But I share that story because I think sometimes we often tell our team like, hey, we got to ask everybody, ask everybody about everything every single time. And that's a noble idea, but it's not always the most realistic. And I think that was probably what was going on in that business. But what they should have done, they should have trained for triggers and they should have recognized, okay, if you're going to whip, if you're going to miss on asking someone about double meat, don't let it be the six foot two guy that's 220 pounds ordering a 12 inch sub at three o'clock in the afternoon. Maybe, you know, if you're going to pick one or two to miss out on, have it be the 70 pound 11 year old that comes in ordering the six inch ham and cheese or whatever. Right. So I think that in our agencies and businesses there's certain triggers that we should look for and train to throughout the day, which is going to maximize our marketing dollars because what we're going to find is that our team will naturally do more from nine to five or whatever the hours are. What data tells us is that we're walking around on this earth on autopilot at least half the time, somewhere between 50 and 90% of the time, what we do is habitual, which is scary, right? When you think about your team sitting on the clock and what they're doing, they're on autopilot. That's a scary thing. But when you train for triggers, they're going to recognize certain things and they don't have to work as hard because it's going to bypass that prefrontal cortex where they actually have to to think about what to do. It's going to bypass that and jump into a space where the habits hang out. And once it becomes a habit, they'll recognize those triggers and they're going to get into those conversations that drive production and revenue for the business. It just makes me think about, I heard this several years ago, that in addition to having the CEO hat that you wear, maybe your most important hat that you wear is CRO. You're the chief reminding officer. And as you said, because a lot of times we'll go through and we'll train, training for triggers, but sometimes we have to keep that in front, even though we feel like that we've trained on it, people are still going to miss it because like you said, it hasn't made it into a part of their habits on a day-to-day basis. That applies for us, but also applies Mm -hmm. for our teams. And so I love that. I think that's great. And I think it's also just a good reminder that when we think about marketing and as important as marketing and investing in dollars, some things that we can do don't cost anything, right? They maybe cost us just our time, but they have to sink into what we do on a day-to-day basis. I think it's great. One of the things I really enjoyed about reading in your book is a section on the complacency in structure, complacency in structure. Talk to us about that. Yeah. So as we grow our business and scale our business, I believe, and we can all look to certain businesses that we've seen grow, 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 then hit a wall and they just, that's it. They've maxed out. And for some business owners, that's perfectly fine. I think Part of killing complacency in structure is knowing what you want out of your business. Not everybody wants a massive business in multiple locations, and that's perfectly fine. So first, you got to be clear with what you actually want out of your business and life. But if you do want to scale it, things have to change. Things have to evolve. And I know you had Mike McAlwitz on your show, and obviously, he wrote the book Profit First. And I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of him. I've read everything that he's put out. I just heard he's putting out another one. I can't wait. But one thing that I think people abuse is the phrase profit first because they don't read his book. They read the title and they're like, yup, I'm going to take mine. (laughs) And they don't reallocate the increased revenue accordingly to make sure the business is structured in a way that's going to continuously grow year over year over year. So I'm not saying don't take profit first. I'm not saying don't take more profit as your business grows, but you need to shave off a chunk, right? You got to Uncle Sam. You got to put some more back into the business. So when it grows, you can continuously scale it. And so when I kill complacency in structure in the book, there's a quiz in there. And I'll challenge you to read through that quiz and ask yourself some really tough questions. And what you'll find is that there might be a situation where you found that you've gotten complacent in your business when it comes to your capacity and structure. And then from there, I do talk a lot about the mindset with investing money back into your business. Because I know sometimes we'll put money into the stock market or mutual funds and real estate. I do all that stuff too. But then we look at putting money into our business and we think that that's a loss. Over here, these are investments. I'm putting money in my business. That's a loss. And I don't necessarily think so if you're doing it responsibly. I'm kind of wrapping back around a little bit to the people. But as you were talking, it just really made me think about one of the areas that all business owners tend to get complacent in 
is in recruiting. And we end up recruiting whenever we have someone that leaves unexpectedly. Right before we hopped on, I was on the phone with a client and team member been with her a really long time, announced that she was leaving to take her dream job, to go into doing music. And so it was obviously a great fit, was a great team member, but she's going and getting to do her dream job. And so now it's caught this business owner really off guard, completely almost just blindsided, really. And so I think that's an area that we can really become complacent and things are going really well. The team is humming on all cylinders and we just tend to not see sometimes when that's going to happen. How can we not be complacent with our recruiting efforts? The biggest thing is consistency. If I look back, my success as a business owner, if I had to put it on one thing, it's the fact that I'm consistent when it comes to my recruiting so much that that's now a topic that I go around speaking on. It's a, the second book that I'm working on because it's that important. I can almost point back any problem in any business. And it's kind of like the six degrees of Kevin Bacon, how you can tie back like any Hollywood film star, actor, actress back to a film within six or less. I can do the same thing with recruiting. You give me a problem. I could probably find its way back to team and ultimately recruiting is the biggest pain point that we have as small business owners right now. And obviously COVID did not help. But if you remember back pre-COVID, we were struggling with it then too. And as we start to come out of COVID, there's going to be issues there too. And so it's not going away. We just need to evolve as small business owners to make sure we're able to compete with the big dogs, not just locally, but now nationally and even internationally because COVID changed a lot of things. So for me, it's a consistent activity every single day. I know if I coach my team, I know if I recruit every day, I'm going to be in a position to win. And I've had some of my best hires. Some of my best hires were hired when I didn't need anybody, but I recruited every single day and you uncover things and then you're in a tough spot. All right. I don't have a seat or I don't think I have the money, but you know what? There's certain people you just don't pass on. And when you take that risk and that chance, it's going to pay off because it's going to either raise the bar for everybody else in the office. And then you can afford that person if everybody else gets better too. Or what you're going to find is that that person is immediately better than your last player. And you got to make a tough decision and swap them out. I know just because of where I live and I've had a lot of friends and people that served in the military. One of my really good friends was sharing with me. He said, you know, when we went over there, everything was so regimented and discipline was just kind of instilled But when you come back, he felt like that there was just kind of exhaling that happened. And he said, I feel like that I exhaled for years before I actually was able to reflect back to that time and take away some of those lessons. So in addition to complacency kills and that lesson that you learned, what are some of the other things that you kind of reflect back on during your time in Fallujah during the war that have really applied to your success in business today? Well, first off, your friend's spot on as far as that transition and that period of just exhaling. I think that's exactly what happened with me when I got complacent. I just exhaled far too long. <laughs> and I think when you come home, you kind of run from what you were doing or had to do. You lose some of that discipline. And then I think you wake up later and realize like, wait a minute, that was good for me. Not all of it, but a lot of it really was. And how can now I apply that? But my time there, I don't sweat some of the small stuff that other people do. And I got to be careful with that. And what I mean by that is there's times where it could be personal. Like my wife might have something and she's stressed about something or an employee or whatever. And I'll kind of compare it to something much worse, whether it's something I've experienced or just that others are currently experiencing, whether it be a sick kid or whatever it might be. Like there's things going on that are way worse than what I have going on today. But one thing my wife said one day was that, you know, it's, it's okay to also hurt and feel and whatever. And it kind of dawned on me that you know, I got to check myself. Like just because what we go through at home isn't as bad as what we went through over there. doesn't mean I always have to compare You can look at your situation here at home and say, you know what, this sucks. Like this does suck. It's not as bad as this. However, I don't want to minimize what my team members are going through or what my wife's going through just because I've had to go through more. And so there's a balancing act there. So it's a good thing that I can overlook certain things, but also I got to make sure I check myself so I'm not minimizing other people's pain. I see you're a big reader. I see all the books behind you. Usually where I'm recording this, you can see all mine. So I'm sure you've read Chris Voss's book, Never Split the Difference. Have you read that book? I've listened to that one. 
Yes. Yeah. It makes me think about what you were saying as tactical empathy, as being able to have and doing it in an authentic way to have empathy for other people's positions and situations, even if what you said, well, yeah, what you're going through is difficult, but it's not as bad as what I went through, whether that's a military or something else that you've went through, cancer, et cetera. Your situation is not as bad as mine, so you shouldn't be complaining about that. I mean, I think that a lot of times we can feel that way as business owners say, well, you don't know what it's like to be in this seat. You don't know the sacrifices I made to be able to get the business that we have today. And I think a lot of times that we lose that ability to have empathy for other people without it actually feeling like sometimes we're coming across as soft. Does that make sense? It does. You're spot on. Soft and even sometimes coming across as not caring about their situation. We got to make sure we're careful with that because everybody's different. I love speaking with other agents. I was on the phone with one this morning from Texas and she talked about how she leads her service team. And she sent me like these assessments and I can, it's kind of like the five love languages, but for your team. And I'm realizing like there's a little bit of a disconnect between myself and my service team. And how do I bridge that gap? And I got to learn more about them. I just have to learn more about them and what makes them tick. And I can't guess. And so, yeah, you're spot on. I love that. What you just said, don't guess. I think that's awesome. Looking back, when did you start your first business? What year? 2012. 2012. Okay. So we're almost coming up on 10 years, roughly. I mean, uh, nine years or so. So almost a decade. So this is more specific to back then to now. What are the things that if you could go back and tell your nine-year-ago self, what are two or three things that you know now that you wish you knew then? I would have spent more time training my team and less time with customers. For the first few years, I looked at myself as like the Michael Jordan on the court, right? How could you remove Mike and make him play Phil? And it took me a long time to really come to grips with that. I had a good team, but I let them sell this stuff and I would sell that stuff. And But I took a step back. It was probably after year two or three when I realized like, you know what, this is the level that I hit this year. And man, I really worked hard, but I still missed out on this and this. What is everybody else doing that's consistently getting to where I want to get to. And I realized they weren't doing it all themselves. They had built bigger teams, better teams, and they did it through having multiple people doing what they maybe once did. So I thought to myself, man, can I like hire three, four or five people to do maybe 85% of what I could do? Yeah, I think I could. Well, if you add that together, it's way more impactful on the business, the community and whatever than just having myself do it. And I always encourage other small business owners to think that way because I think as a small business owner, we think, okay, I have to be the girl or the guy. And if I remove myself, how devastating is that? Because I'm so good at what I do. But if you think about the competition that we have out there, the barrier to entry in insurance and other small businesses is extremely low. And there's some really bad competition out there. And I think when we market ourselves and our businesses, we say, you know what? I'm twice as good as this company or this agency or this business. And if that's true, if you're marketing yourself and your agency or your business that way, then you shouldn't have any fear of going out and hiring somebody else. I worked with a plumber recently that's that way. I'm like, listen, could you train somebody to be 85% of what you are? And he said, yeah. I'm like, okay, well, I'm guessing you're better than just 15% of your competition, right? So if they're half of what you are, you're hurting the customer by not putting people out into the field that can do 85% of what you can do because you can only do so much individually. So go get four, five, six, seven plumbers, have them be 85% as good as you and impact way more people because right now your competition is swiping them up. Business is constantly evolving, change. And if you look back on, I mean, it doesn't matter what industry you're in, the speed of change I've heard is like every year it cuts in half basically of how fast things are evolving. And that's not going to get cats out of the bag. It's not going to go to the other way anytime soon. That's for sure. When you were in the war, you guys would, I'm sure, put together pretty elaborate plans of what you were going to do. But ultimately, when you were in the field, you didn't stick to your guns and say, well, this is what we said we were going to do. But the situation has changed. So we're just going to keep doing that. You had to adapt. How has that lesson applied to your business to be able to embrace change? Because let's be real, a lot of people will push back on change. Well, that's not the way it was back in the good old days. That's not the way it was five years ago. There's no way it was 10 years ago. And they get stuck back then versus 
embracing the opportunity that is today? I think it comes down to a very clear mission. If you know where you want to go in your business, whether or in a war zone, if the mission is very clear, then the pushback should be limited if everybody understands the mission. And one thing, you know, looking back to the military is when someone comes down with a certain order or a mission or whatever we're going to do that evening or that patrol, they'll ask the newest person to break down their specific job or their specific role within the mission. And so it's not just having a high level idea, but down to the individual team, down to the individual Marine, like, what is your job? Explain it back to me. Because I know, and you know, when we talk to our teams, we know what we meant to say. Like, I just talked about the 85% of you being 100. And I think it made sense, but I was just kind of going off the hinges there. You might have no clue what I was talking about, whoever's listening to this right now. Hopefully it came across okay. But if I ask somebody, hey, can you explain what I just said around being 85% of you and then hiring forward? Sometimes we just don't communicate the way we think we did. So in the military, we would check for understanding. And I think it's important that we stop and check for understanding before we even step off on the mission as business owners. But then ultimately, if you keep the mission in mind, slow down periodically and see where you are versus where you wanted to be and adjust fire accordingly. So the pushback, I think you're always going to get that to a certain extent. But if you have a clear mission and you can articulate why the change, then there should be limited pushback if you do it right. And if there is more pushback, then you might have a bad player on your team, which comes back to recruiting. Anybody's listening to this podcast for any amount of time that you know how much I love to read. And I have to tell you, first of all, congratulations on your book to be able to get a book completed. I've really enjoyed going through this. Highly recommend somebody pick it up. What was the hardest part about putting that book together? I think the hardest part was probably, well, identifying exactly who my target reader was. You know, when I first started writing it, it was just kind of a book for everybody, I guess, kind of a little bit of self-improvement, a little bit of motivation, a little bit of business. And ultimately, as I started coaching more and speaking more, I realized the only people that really give a dang about what I have to say are small business owners, insurance agents specifically. So what am I doing trying to write a book for everybody? Write a book for the people that actually are asking to hear your voice right now. So that was hard to just narrow it down. But once I did, it was a lot easier. The second thing was eliminating a lot of what I wrote. When you write something, you think it's great. The book was probably twice as big as it is today. And I read a book, it's called On Writing by Stephen King. It just talks about the process of writing. And one thing that he said was, when you think you're good, cut it in half. And I I read that and like, you know, I've put too much time and energy and thought. But when I started looking through the book, I would read something and ask myself, does this apply to my target audience? Yes or no? Am I including this because I think it's going to help this person? Or am I serving my ego? Is this an ego thing? Or is this I'm trying to help people thing? And if it if I thought it was going to help my target audience, I left it. If I thought it was just me trying to whatever, I removed it. And that was kind of painful. But ultimately, it was the right thing to do. I do this podcast because I want to be able to live a life of contribution. And for you to take everything that you've learned to be able to take the time to put it in encapsulated into a book. You were doing that through your speaking and your coaching and creating this book. You are living a life of contribution to a lot of people, not just your team and your customers, but obviously for the business owners around the country. So we're going to go into E9 Rapid Fire, but real quick, since we're on the book, where can people pick up a copy? Yeah, if you go to alexshattuck.com, so it's A-L-E-X-S-H-A-T as in Tango, T is in Tango, U-C-K. So alexshattuck.com. There will be a blog there. You can read other articles that I've written. You can pick up the book. You can download the book for free. So you can save your money and put it back into the business if you want. Or you can buy the physical copy. And if you want to reach out about any coaching or consulting that I do, that will be available to you as well on the website. All right, here we go. World famous E9 Rapid Fire. You ready? I think so. What's the last book that you read? The last book that I read was a book by Michael Hyatt, and it's a book called Your World Class Assistant. I recently hired an assistant. I already had one, but her role evolved into something much bigger. And it's just been a game changer, and I picked up that book hoping to just improve on what I've already started to create with that role. The book you would recommend the most to other small business owners other than yours? Yeah, definitely Clockwork by your boy, Mike McAllitz, right? I just think that's, and even my subtitle in my book is decrease your hours and increase your profits. 
And I think that that clockwork mindset really helps with that. And far too often as business owners, we've had to choose between the two, high income or for even flexibility within our schedules. It's not an and, and I think to have success long-term in business, we got to find a way to make it an and. It can't just be an or. So high income and freedom in his book does a phenomenal job. I think mine does too, but his is even better. So if you're gonna read one first, read his. So I started asking this question or a similar type of question. What is a commonly held belief around leadership that you disagree with? Oh, geez. so I already mentioned this isn't necessarily leadership, but I just talked about Mike in a positive sense, but I already mentioned the fact that people have used the, the phrase profit first. I truly believe that leadership. I also think that we focus too much on hiring to our weaknesses. I think that's a no brainer. I don't think we need to go around and talk about that. What we need to focus on and talk about is hiring people to our strengths so we can scale the business and remove ourselves from the day to day and actually run it like a business and not just like an awesome job. So I'm not saying they're wrong by saying that, hire to your weaknesses, but realistically you need to hire to your strengths even more so. Who are two or three people that you look up to on a regular basis that you watch and pay attention to what they do? I look at other small business owners in the insurance industry. There's a lot of great ones and even outside of our industry there's a lot of great business owners and so i spend a lot of time not just coaching with others but when i do coach others i can typically like, squeeze something out of them and i'm going to apply to my life and business as well so that's one i follow all the people you'd expect to follow on social media you mentioned the book can't hurt me i think that's the name of it right goggins you know he's an entertaining one jocko and those guys are entertaining but uh, really as far as who i look up to are my peers that's where I get way more information from someone like you or someone like the agent I spoke to in Texas this morning than I do from Jocko or from Goggins or from any of those folks. I get way more out of my peers. Nine years ago, when you started your business, fill in the blank, I had no idea this would be so hard. You know, at the time, recruiting, I thought that when I went through training to open my first agency you know it was all about creating your business plan and your hot list and all that stuff and that's cool but i just assumed once they told us to flip the switch with recruiting i could just go find a bunch of people that are cut from the same cloth as me and i'll just we'll rock out together and it's all good well then i start recruiting and realize you know what where are they at and so that was the biggest shock to me that recruiting was as hard as it was and i've gotten much better at it but the the process or the importance hasn't at all gone down. It's just as hard as it's ever been, if not harder, just as important as it's ever been. I've just gotten better at it. So that was one. And then just logistically with family, I have four kids. And so I don't regret it one bit, but I'll tell you what, the early years when they all were two, four, six, eight-ish, it was pretty easy. It was what it was, but now everybody's into something. Everybody's doing something. And so in addition to juggling the insurance businesses, the coaching and consulting, the speaking, the writing, I'm also a taxi driver and the number one fan most evenings, and I wouldn't change it for the world, but do the math, if you have four kids and all of them are playing at least one sport, maybe multiple overlapping at times, you're moving, you're busy. So I did not foresee that being as big of a, not an issue, but as big of a role in, in my world as far as schedule goes. But that again, speaks back to being able to scale your business and not just increase your profits, but also decrease the amount of hours you have to spend in it. I don't know what I would do if I had to be in the office from nine to five. Something would have to give. Yeah, kids keep you from being complacent, right? They're not gonna let you be complacent, that's for sure. Yeah. When you're not working, not with your family, what's a hobby or interest that you love to do? People make fun of me because I don't have a lot of hobbies. I'm not gonna say I, I just hang out with my family and that's it. I do a lot of family stuff, of course, but I like to work out with friends, small other insurance agents mostly. I enjoy hunting. You know, I hunt deer, I hunt turkey. I'm going out to Wyoming with some friends of mine in September to go after some elk. So I would say hunting and working out. Dead or alive, who would you love to most sit next to on a 10 hour flight? You know, this isn't the most exciting thing to talk about, but I think for me personally, I would want to hang out with someone that I've lost. I've lost a handful of people that were important to me in my life at a young age. And there's a few names that come to mind that I would love to have 10 more hours with them. Yeah, you mentioned that in your intro of your book, actually, somebody that, that you lost in Iraq. What's your most unusual talent? 
I can juggle. I can juggle. That's I don't know how unusual that is. But um, hey, when you go speaking, make sure you ask Alex to do some juggling for you, right? <laughs> there you go. I haven't lit anything on fire yet, but maybe one day. And outside of that, you know, I'm pretty simple. I don't have a lot of talent. I always get asked to, if someone needs help moving, I get invited. You don't want me on the <laughs> golf course. You're a fit right. guy. You're a fit guy. I can see why they would they, they're like, hey, we need some muscle over here. Yeah. But golf, you, know, you think every insurance agent's a golfer. You don't want me on your team, Bradley. Just, <laughs> I'll come watch. I'll come cheer you on. But you don't want me on the course, man. I do it, but it's ugly. All right. Last question. What's the best piece of leadership advice you've ever received? There's two things that come to mind. One is kind of an obvious one we've heard before, but you know, people won't well, what's the phrase? They don't care about what you know until they know that you care. I think that's huge. When it comes to not just recruiting, but retaining team, I would believe that if you were to ask individual team members on my staff, if I truly care about them, not just in the role, but as a person, the majority would say absolutely. And I don't think you can fake that. So that's one thing. The other thing was a line that I'll use when I talk about recruiting that I stole from somebody way back when. You know how you, you hear a speaker and sometimes... They might not even be all that great, but there's that one thing, that one line. And man, this guy delivered this message. And, and the only thing I remember was longevity does not equal loyalty. And man, is that true in business? And that's a tough thing to think about and consider. But there's individuals on our team that they've been there a long time. But that does not mean they're necessarily any more loyal to us or our business than someone that's been there three months. So those are the two pieces that I have for you. Alex, it's been a pleasure having you come on. We'll definitely put the links in the show notes and in our email for people to be able to pick up the book. Thank you again for your service to the country. Congrats on the book and getting something like that out. That's something a lot of people have in their head and they go to the graves never being able to do that. So kudos to you for putting that out. Thanks for all that you do in your community and across the country, being able to help others. Hope to have you back on in the future. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. I'm so impressed with Alex and just have so much respect for people that served in our military, especially during the period of time that he was over there. And then for him to use that experience and be able to apply those learnings in his business, number one, that's a huge feat in and of itself. And then obviously now to be able to put that in a way that can help serve others, you know, I just think so often about from growth to contribution. He's grown obviously so much personally. He applied that in his business, has been able to grow many multiple successful businesses himself, and then obviously contributing in his life to be able to help other people. Now, I really think that I always give kind of a recap of the things that I took away. And I have to tell you, I just think it's the structure and the discipline, right? The killing complacency in people, killing complacency in marketing and killing complacency and structure were some of the things. And I think that at the end of the day, one of the big takeaways for me is that complacency is sneaky. It really is. And I shared, obviously, the quote that has always resonated with me. But that's one of the biggest things I'm going to take away from this is that you have to be intentional with making sure that you kill complacency because otherwise complacency kills, right? And a lot of people will put out this kind of idea of like decreasing hours and increasing profits. Very few people actually show you how to do it. And Alex's book does just that. And make sure you go to alexshatuck.com, alexshatuck.com. We'll, we'll put that link in the show notes and obviously on all of our social media channels. It was awesome having Alex on. I know that I'm going to definitely reach out to him and have him come back on in the future. Make sure you pick up the book. If you have a study group, if you have a group that you know, you can tell he is so well-spoken. Have him to come and speak to your group. Make sure you can go to his website there. You can pick up the book. You can contact him to be able to uh, book him for a speaking engagement. I just think his story is so fascinating to me. We talked offline and, and have got to know him personally, and I think it's just a solid person and would do a great job for your organization, for your company, or for your study group. 
Big thanks as always to our friends at DirectClicks, directclicksinc.com. If you want help with your SEO and your online work, look, I say this every week, and so many of you have reached out to DirectClicks, but there may be some of you that are still on the fence. What do you wait for? Look, by the time we're recording this, we're in starting to get into fall of 2021. And so you may have not had the year that you wanted to have. Maybe you're having a fantastic year. But maybe you're trying to do and manage all of this work yourself. Well, you might be a really highly paid, mediocre SEO pay-per-click person. Why don't you go to the experts who have thousands, literally thousands of hours doing A-B split testing, and they know what works, especially if you're an insurance agency owner. That's who they work with. They know the business. They know what works. They know the numbers that you need to be looking at. Go to directclicksinc.com. See how they can make a difference in your business. As always, big thanks to our friends at Club Capital. I was talking to Micah the other day. He was sharing with me some stories of all the new, within the last 12 to 18 months, all the new insurance agency owners that they have brought on board as clients and just some of the success stories that they've been able to get. Man, I wish so bad that I would have had Club Capital when I started my business because I would have been able to make much better decisions. I was running blind. I was looking at financials once a year. And really, to be honest with you, I didn't even know what I was looking at. I had no idea. I had a degree in finance from Auburn University. My dad was a small business owner. You would think that I would know what I was doing. I had no idea. And it only took me until I had kind of a story, right? I had this event where it slapped me up between the eyes, where I had to borrow money to pay taxes to the IRS. That was a bad, bad place to be and one that I never want to go back to. But it was through that, ultimately, I think it, you know, it's been said that your mess becomes your message. And so, but I really wish I would have had something like Club Capital back then to be able to help me to really see my financials, but not just in a way that makes them clean and nice and nice and pretty. It has nothing to do with that. It actually was the thing that I could have learned from. And from that peer benchmarking, just as an example, financials is something that small business owners just don't talk about very much to each other, right? I mean, it's easy to talk about our sales numbers, but it's a whole other thing to actually get into our financials. And so how can you get that type of insight to see what other people are doing without knowing exactly what their name is? And actually, sometimes maybe that's better that you don't know, but you get an idea of what the averages are. So you can see how much people are investing in marketing. What are they doing here? What are they doing there? And so you can make better decisions in your business so that you can grow your business profitably so you can continue to take in more money over time. Go to club.capital, book your no obligation demo and see how they can make your financials and analytics the strategic driver in your small business. Until next week, everyone, lead well.